Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Emma, I want to talk to you about this because I know that you've been Taylor Swifting all morning. Obviously, Taylor was just announced as Times, what is it? Most wonderful person of the year? That <laughs> it's just person of the year. No, <laughs> it's just best person of the year. Okay. Um, of the first year. of all, thank God it's not woman of the year and it's person of the year. I really well, appreciate it. It used to be man of the year. Oh, yeah, I know. Isn't that horrible? I mean, horrible for much longer than it's been person of the year it was man of the year i think oh that's interesting history yeah <laughs> okay so i appreciate that she has yeah. taken an award that used to be solely for men i right. appreciate that and i like the wording because i feel like women get awards for women they don't get a, a yeah. lot of awards for people so, so i i very much appreciate that well, and it's just more gender neutral in general yeah, which it should be. No. But here's my other thing. There are so many iconic women doing iconic things that like, will every person of the year be a woman? Because that kind of is what's deserved. So, yes, that's the conclusion that the article that I just wrote comes to. Oh, does it? Did I yeah. spoil it for ending? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Time Magazine, they are known for picking some wild people of the year in the past. I won't get like into Like who? I want to know just some examples. Donald Trump. But... No, I think that's interesting. It just, it's like, no matter your political beliefs, Donald Trump and Taylor Swift are just not in the same world. No, not really. So obviously the whole world is talking about that Taylor is the person of the year. Yes. So Emma has spent this morning writing this amazing article about the takeaways from the interview because it was a juicy interview. It like, was my a God. juicy interview. She delivered. Since you spent all morning literally dissecting this interview, yeah. what was your favorite takeaway? First of all, I have to shout out because Josie did pitch this idea in our pitch meeting yesterday. So thank you. My favorite takeaway, when I was reading the article, I just obviously naturally was brought to tears at certain points. The profiler did an amazing job. But the parts where I was becoming the most emotional was when she was talking about feminine art and female art. And I was starting to realize as I read about Swift's impact on the economy and... Emma, not you calling her Swift. Sorry, Taylor. <laughs> this is what I wrote Hashtag <laughs> journalism. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. More she's our friend, as we've said on this podcast. Her, her. Taylor yeah, Swift She's our, our gal. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go on. The economic opportunities she's creating and the domino effect she's having means that more people like me 
who are creative women are going to be employed for what they love to do in the future. And then on a very tangible level, I wouldn't be able to write for my job if we weren't posting articles about what to wear to the Eras Tour, which was one of our most shopped it's articles real. of the year. So it's in a real. very real way, Taylor Swift is the reason why I'm employed. <laughs> wow, that's a lot to dissect. Yeah, if I didn't have wonderful bosses who also listen to Taylor Swift, it's all very meta. So. It's so meta. Well, not to like totally Taylor Swift out, but I love thinking about we all have those moments where Taylor Swift like meant so much to us, you know, or I shouldn't say we all, us Swifties out here. Yeah. Like for me, it was when she first came out with her album and I was, I think, 11 years old or 12 years old or 13 or something. And I was like, this resonates so deeply in my 13-year-old angst. And I think it's so freaking cool that now almost like 18 years, 17 years, something like that. Wow. Yeah. That much later. You are feeling like she is a big connection of your career. The impact of her is crazy, is the point. Whether it's like emotional, whether it's like you're saying economic, the impact of Taylor mother effing Swift is insane. Yeah. What parts of the article, like what things did she say from the interview? Are you like, I'm going to think about that for the rest of my life? The thing about how she thought she was going to be perceived so negatively for the rest of her career after reputation that I'm going to be thinking about forever. What about you? I have a guess about what you're... (laughs) What? Guess. I want to hear your guess. Well, I know that you care about reality TV. So... sure do. I assume that for you, the trash takes itself out line was, you know... That was a line that I didn't know I needed and now I can't imagine living without. Um, That was a really great one for me. The two that really stand out for me, obviously everything she said about Travis Kelsey, I'm like, I love this. And when she said being public and like choosing to be public and why she doesn't want to hide anymore. And she's like, we just want to support each other. I just couldn't be more happy for her because it does feel like she was in this place where she felt like I'm a curse to people. That yeah. I love. You know, my fame is a curse to other people and now she gets to be in this place where she's like i am just publicly celebrated because i was always so curious about like he's being so open so yeah. open up this podcast so i was always so curious is she like okay i get it but i'm feeling like used or i feel like this is weird or this is uncomfortable and it seems like she's like no i'm down to just be publicly supported yeah so i love that for her i love her response but the i don't know why this line <laughs> It just is so cute to me picturing her do this after the tour, after show, when she'll go in bed and she doesn't get out of bed except to go get her own food. And then and she says the line about like she can't even walk because her toes crunch. And so I'm just picturing her like walking to the door and her toes like crunch, 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 (laughs) picking up her Uber Eats like an average gal and going back to bed and eating her McDonald's sub. What what do you eat at McDonald's? (laughs) Burger. Yeah. A burger. I feel like Taylor Swift probably gets takeout sushi. You think she's a sushi girl from like a really expensive high end? Like she's no, getting just like, like your average sashimi spread. Her favorite local place. Well, okay, maybe, yeah. I'm picturing her in that moment eating sushi. I could see her doing sushi. She just doesn't give the vibes of like Olive Garden. Like sometimes I can be in that vibe where I'm like, I want a really big pasta and garlic yeah. bread. And I I can't picture in that vibe. I can picture in the vibe of some kind of fast food. Taco Bell, 
What's that really weird one? Jack in the box? What's that? I, I, no one goes to. I could see her having that moment or I could see her doing sushi. Yeah, for sure. Listen, I would like for everybody to DM us at the Every Girl Podcast and tell us, what is Taylor Swift ordering on Uber Eats? <laughs> I want to know more theories. I get worried about that girl. When she's talking about her workout schedule and just the physical toll, her saying, I have days when I literally do not leave my bed is important because people important. need to be reminded to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to know that our gal is giving herself a break. Anyways, should we get into the Ask the Ever Girl? Yeah. Let's stay on topic now that we had our Taylor Swift moment. Yeah. We could have a whole bonus podcast that, like, only my mom will listen to, that it's us talking about Taylor Swift. True, true. So this week's Ask the Ever Girl is, I feel like my phone takes over my life. I am definitely on my phone way too much and am probably addicted. I feel like you'd have great advice for how to set boundaries with your phone, and I need help. Oh, good freaking question. I have a lot of thoughts, but why don't you go oh. first? I really transparently still struggle and have struggled with this. I feel like we all have struggled with it because it's this insane tool that we haven't had to learn how to set boundaries with. No one has helped us set boundaries with. So it's an experience that we all are having to learn for ourselves. I mean, my biggest struggle with the phone is the morning. I used to do the thing that we all do, which is I don't want to get out of bed because I'm tired. So I'm going to take my phone and I'm going to check my Instagram and I'm going to answer texts and whatever. In 2023, that was my number one thing. This is my goal. And I'm not a resolutions gal, but that's my resolution is no more looking at your phone first thing in the morning. And it's been hard. What I have found that works for me, if you're an in-bed scroller as well, is the reason that I scroll is because I just don't want to get out of bed. So what I've been doing instead is like, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to lay here or however I honestly want until I start to get into like the, oh shit, I need to get up. But however long I can to sit, I put on a superhuman meditation so that I'm like giving myself time to lay. That has been a game changer rather than thinking I'm going to get right out of bed. I just like realized the reason I was scrolling was because I didn't want to get out of bed yet. So for my first tip, replacing anytime you see yourself using your phone habitually with something else. So a big one that I see a lot and talk to a lot with my clients, they'll notice that they're on their phone a lot during work. For example, like if they've just been working on something, they habitually go to their phone and start scrolling through TikTok. And then a five minute break becomes, you know, 30 minutes. So what are you really needing in that time? If it's during work, you're probably needing a break. So what other way can you give yourself a break? Likewise, a lot of people, you know, like to scroll when they're watching TV and you need that dual stimulation where you get in the habit of watching the TV and your phone, like the TV's not enough. And then you're training your brain to not be focused on any one thing and to not yeah. take pleasure in the sitting and allowing yourself to watch a show. Like that can be so much pleasure that we're missing if we're distracting ourselves from the pleasure of the show by the immediate dopamine hit of the scrolling like it's all the cycle so what are you needing then maybe the show you're watching is not as enticing as you think it is maybe instead you need to be just doing something with your hands so you want to get a coloring book and do some coloring so think of what you like really are doing when you go to your phone and trying Mm -hmm. to replace habits with that the hill that i will die on everyone in the world listen up 
Do not have any notifications on your phone. Turn off all notifications. What? I mean, text notifications. I mean, silence calls. I mean, everything. All this morning? All the time. Mm-hmm. No, do you get notifications, Emma? Yes. For everything? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. What do you mean? I right. like to take extreme advantage of the built-in different types of do not disturb settings. Do you know those on the iPhone? I'm not as good slash familiar with options within the phone. So enlighten me. I would like to know. I have more self-induced boundaries, not technology-induced boundaries. Right. So on the little do not disturb thing that Apple offers for you to turn off all notifications and there's the little moon symbol. You guess different types of those so that only certain notifications come through at certain times. I have a work setting, a me time setting, a regular do not disturb setting, and then I think one more. Oh, sleep, duh. Um, Where sleep is like the only thing that would come through is a call from my mom or my dad where it would be an emergency. And this was a game changer for me last year when I was writing my thesis and also working part-time, I needed different notifications to come through at different times. Like I didn't want Slack notifications to be coming in when I was working on my thesis. And I didn't want my school email or whatever coming through when I was working for the Every Girl. And so I had different settings. Okay, that's smart. But I will say that for most of the first several years that I even had a phone, I just kept it on do not disturb the entire time. So mm-hmm. maybe that is the way to go. That's what's important is that you're giving yourself to be like, I don't want notifications at this time. I only want work emails this time, but I don't want uh, Instagram notifications at this time. That you can set those boundaries is the important part. So I love that you can do that. Really cool hack. Here's my thing about notifications, Jen, is like okay. the second, that a notification pops up on your phone, whether it's an Instagram DM notification, whether it's a text from a friend, you are no longer in control of your own time and energy. You're not. Someone else is taking time from you every single time a notification pops up on your phone. So for example, even if a friend that you really want to talk to and that you love is sending you a text message When you're getting a notification and it pops up on your phone, you stop what you're doing. You look at your phone. You pick up your phone. You answer the text, right? You're doing that on their time. It was their choice to text you. And when you're living in response to someone else rather than proactively from your own time, you're on their time. So what I do is I have notifications off on every single thing. I do not have a notification for anything I set aside time for myself to go check my text messages. So I'm choosing, this is my time to go check my text messages, respond. I do not want someone else because they want access to me. I don't want to give everybody access to me 24-7. My time is precious. All of our time is precious. So that is the way that I set that boundary for myself. I will respond to you when it's on my time. You don't get access to steal my time when I'm not ready, if that makes sense. Like, it's just kind of like the energy shift of it. Yeah. And then also, it's like, we've all been there where we get a text and then we answer the text. And then just because we're already there, we go on Instagram. And then so then it kind of goes into a spiral. Yeah. Keep spending more time on your phone than you really want to or intentionally do. I know a lot of people who get notifications from Instagram still. And that blows my mind. I can't even imagine. That right? is 
No, I my mind is blown. Or from what's Twitter now called? X? Like Joey gets notifications from X. And I'm no. like, A, who's on X? B. Getting notifications from social media, I am deeply against. Yeah. Sociopathic behavior. Yeah, I mean, that is not. But the way that I think of it is all those people, even just with texting too. Imagine when you're in a group chat and you're just chilling sitting on the couch. Would you allow five different people to be shouting at you? Hey, I want this plan. I have a question about this. Oh my God, here's a cute picture of my dog. You'd be like, no, this is my alone time. Get the hell out of my home. So why are you allowing that text to come through on your phone? It's the same thing. My phone is on silent so that, again, like I'm checking calls and I can call people back on my own time rather than I have to stop what I'm doing because someone else wants access to me. It's not a perfect system. I have missed many calls. Like I joke that Joey is my secretary because my friends know when they want to come over, they have to text him. The call box, you know, to get into our apartment goes to your phone. So they know to call Joey, not me. So again, it's not a perfect system. And I'm lucky that I have him because I think if I didn't live with a partner that was okay being my secretary, it probably wouldn't work (laughs) because people do need access to you. So that's kind of cute. Is it? Thank you. Yeah. So my recommendation is, I mean, phone addiction is such a real thing. Your brain, you know, I like to go into the biology of what's going on in the body. The brain really does get hooked to that dopamine hit. So we could go into a lot of those areas. But that's my first tip is rethink your relationship to your phone. It doesn't have to be as extreme as I do, but maybe it's like what you're suggesting, which is set boundaries on your time. Maybe it is like you aren't going to put your calls on silent so people can call you if they need you, but you won't have text notifications ever so that you can go check your text when you want to, not when other people want access to you. Setting the boundaries is the important thing, period. That's going to allow you to switch your relationship so that you're not... It's it's like we are like serving the phone versus the phone is supposed to be serving us. Any necessary evil that's in our lives that can become easily addicting and this can be like work or exercise or those things that we need to do but they can become addicting sometimes you have to set explicit boundaries my confession is that i delete all of my social media apps which are only instagram and tiktok off of my phone during the week and re-download them every weekend and you might be thinking Emma, you post on Instagram and TikTok as part of your job. I am thinking that. And this is where I have to confess that every time I post on the Every Girl podcast, Instagram and TikTok accounts, which is only during the week, I re-download and delete the apps. Emma, oh my God, you're telling me this now, this important boundary that you're setting that I'm making you... Listen, your boundary setting... It's a reality of my life. We work in media. Social media is a part of that. But I cannot have those apps on my phone during the week or else I will end up scrolling before bed or scrolling when I wake up. So it's really mostly about before work and after work. They cannot be on my phone. I mean, that's really amazing. It's a part of our lives. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think going cold turkey is really the way to go. So I like having it on my phone during the weekend and then it can be sort of like a fun thing. It like makes it fun again instead of like, oh my God, I'm opening Instagram and I hate myself for opening Instagram, you know? Yes. 
Well, we can discuss this later, but <laughs> we can schedule. You know, there are apps that schedule so that you don't have to re-download. But that's obviously an added issue for people that do work in media or work with social media in any capacity. When it's part of your job, that's an even added layer of a complicated relationship with social media. So, right. uh, but that's a really good tip to delete. I just had an interview with Brianna Wiest and she is so intentional about curating her social media to be really positive for her. So that's interesting. We were just talking about that. And I actually think that it's a good tip too for people that do feel like I'm spending too much time. But maybe you could be spending that time in a way that actually feels good. Like maybe yeah. the, the time, I mean, the time is probably an issue. We could work on spending less time on the phone. But maybe also we can not only just rethink of how can we spend less time, but how are we spending the time that we are spending? Is yeah. it look at accounts that make you feel excited and inspired and expanded is the word that Brianna used that I loved? Or are you using that time looking at accounts that make you feel drained and unhappy and comparing yourself to other people. And so I think that that's a piece of this too, is maybe it's not always the time is the issue, but how you're spending that time is the issue. For people that you're become so addicted to wanting dopamine that you can feel like, oh, I don't have enough dopamine. Like it kind of is like a drug. I go check my phone. I kind of like scroll because your brain is looking for that immediate hit, hit of dopamine. So for people that it feels more like that rather than just habit. You can change the settings in your phone to decrease the blue light. So then it's only like orange. So turn it on night mode even during the day because your brain won't receive as much of the dopamine hit when it's like the muted colors. So then your brain's not getting as much dopamine. So then you kind of stop having that cycle. There's just so many hacks and things to try both for yourself and within the phone to set these boundaries. But like we said, I think that's the important piece of it is having a relationship that you feel good about. Yeah. It is hard. Shout out to this listener because I literally at one point, my therapist seriously said this sentence to me, you are not the internet. And I was like, I know, come for me but... harder a therapist. <laughs> it's so hard. So good for this person for working on that. Proud of them. Yeah. Go off queen. Yes, because we have a great episode for you guys today. Yes. Peyton Sarton is an influencer, podcaster, and social media star who has garnered a cult following thanks to her big sister advice. So this episode goes all over the place in the best way. We cover so many different topics. If you're a fan of Peyton, you'll see a totally new side to her in this conversation. And if you're new to her, she really does share such relatable and tangible advice on changing mindsets, being more confident, just like overall living your best life that everyone is going to love. Just wait until you guys hear how she and her friends are intentionally in their Delulu era. Like I kind of <laughs> love this so much. And why it. it's like really helping confidence levels. I actually thought that was a great tip that I've never heard of with confidence. But my favorite part was when we were talking about entering your villain era. Same. You guys are going to love this. It was just yeah. such a fun conversation. It's like the perfect listen in December when you want something inspiring but lighthearted. This is an episode you might want to listen to a few times. So send it to your friends. And don't forget to leave a review because yeah. I get it. When I was an innocent listener, I never left one review either. <laughs> like even for my favorite podcast, I never did. Now on the other side of it, I know it is the best way to support a show 
one review equals, I think, something like a thousand downloads. So you sharing what you love not only helps us to know what to keep bringing you and what you like, but also helps us grow to bring you more and more of it. So thank you so much in advance for supporting us, for leaving us a review. Now let's get into my conversation. Please welcome Peyton Sarton to the Every Girl podcast. You've been blogging since like 2015, right? Almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to start sharing your life on social media? Like, did you set out to become an influencer? No. So I was studying political science in college. My major is political science. My minor is sociology. I wanted to be a lawyer. It's mainly like that firstborn argumentative. My parents were like, wait a minute, like you actually can hold a million different points of view. (laughs) And sometimes they would be like, you are freaking us out all the time. You can't say it's right because it's your child not listening to you. But um, so forever, I just thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then I studied political science. I mean, it took one constitutional law class for me to be like, this is fake and it's a game. And it really made me disillusioned. Like, I just didn't I didn't want to play the game. I thought I was very naive. I just thought there was like a lot of justice going on in the justice system. All that taught me was that I did not want to be involved at all. And I started a blog after reading The Skinny Confidential for a couple of years at this point. Lauren Everts, now Bostic, was definitely one of the first people that I ever religiously followed on the internet. And I was like, you know what, if she can write, I'm pretty good at writing. Like, if she can do this, I feel like I could be able to do something like this. I wanted to also try my hand at working in PR and marketing. My parents were very confused as to why I wanted to do that coming from a poli-sci background. So to show them that I could get an internship and this could be like a thing working in fashion, I um, started a blog as like a running resume. So it was only to get an internship. I ended up getting an internship with For Love and Lemons. And I learned so much on the back end. I moved out here to L.A. for like six months. I was in college in Texas, so it was a bit of a change. But I moved out here for a semester and a summer, and I worked as an intern. And we at For Love and Lemons were working with a lot of bloggers at that time. And this was I was 21, so nine years ago almost now. And I realized like, oh, my God, people are doing this for a real job. So I ended up going home and finishing school. I knew I should do it, but I didn't want to the whole time. I was like, I need to just start my career. I know what I want to do. People looked at me like I was crazy. My dad was like, (laughs) but I had this moment where I talked to my mom on the phone before I right before I graduated. And I was like, listen, I know what I want to do with my life. And I want to have this blog and I just want to see what happens. So I moved out here and just really hit the ground running and did whatever I could to make the blog work, which now has turned into social media. And like, there's now TikTok and YouTube and podcast. First of all, coming from Texas to LA was, I mean, that's like culture shock a little bit. It was definitely culture shock. I'm a military brat. So when it comes to moving, I could pick up tomorrow and move pretty much anywhere. I'm talking about maybe moving away from LA and that doesn't like freak me out at all. As long as I have a place to live. (laughs) So the moving wasn't the hard part. I moved out here right when the 2016 election was happening and moving from a pretty conservative engineering school. It's called Texas A&M. It's a big Texas state school to a much more liberal Los Angeles. I saw both sides of the things I didn't want to be involved in. That's like it was really interesting. So extreme. Like I couldn't have gone to more extremes. And knowing the background of 
what happens in politics and what happens in campaigning. It's just marketing. So that was the more of a culture shock to me because I was looked at by my peers in Texas like, ooh, the gross liberal. And I was looked at <laughs> by my peers here like, oh, my God, you must be so conservative because you're from Texas. I'm like, keep me out of it. Yeah. That is really interesting, though. Do you find that you have more empathy for people that don't share your same values? Because I often feel like when you're exposed mm-hmm. to new things, you're able to be more empathetic. So rather than writing someone off as different from you or like, how could they ever think that? I, I feel like it's important for people to have the experience of, I don't agree with you, but I, I don't need to go to, you're an awful person. Who are you? You're an alien. Yeah. Like that you kind of can have empathy. Did you find that it was a benefit for you and how you relate to other people? Absolutely. I mean, also, I minored in sociology just because I couldn't stop taking the courses. So everything from like the sociology of obviously race, gender, religion, we did a sociology of war strategy class. But I think that's also another reason I like movies so much is I like to be around, you know, a bunch of different things. One of my curses is I get bored easily. And that might be from my growing up, my background. So when I get a little antsy, it's time for me to go somewhere else. It sounds like you're super adaptable, which I think is a superpower, especially in today's world. That's really hard to be flexible and adapt to a new environment. Was there anything that you struggled with having to move around a lot? I would say permanence for sure. The concept of home for me is really, I wouldn't want to say difficult, but it's just complicated. But there is a, a place that we go every summer and we did my entire life in really deep East Texas. It's like a ranch. And that kind of became my home. And so that's where my heights are on the wall. And that's where all my memories are. My baby photos are. So I struggle with the concept of like, let's return home for the holidays. But I do have that just elsewhere. Jumping ahead to your career now. Mm-hmm. Since 2015, that's a long time to sustain a platform and an audience, like especially nowadays when there's always like the next big thing and there's all these different platforms and such a high turnover. What do you think has made you successful and allowed you to have the staying power that you've had? One, just constant effort of being nervous to stop. I think adaptability has been one. I honestly haven't used that skill as much as I should in my job. I use it in my day to day all the time. But When it comes to new social platforms, it's just kind of hard to get used to. I mean, I've tried to adapt to now TikTok. I don't know why it's been an intimidating space for me. It's like truly the least intimidating if you really think about it. But I think adapting has been key. And also, I've never really had a moment where I became like this big influencer. Like I have some friends that are massive and they're really like, I don't want to say controversial, but people are very opinionated about them, whether it's their content that's provoking these opinions or they have interesting lives or they date interesting people or whatever it is. I've kind of been, I think, what one would call like a comfort influencer where it's like, I'm cool with not being a famous influencer. I like where I am. I give myself a nice lifestyle. People who follow me tend to follow me for a long time. I've met so many girls who are like, I've been following you since your Texas days. And I unfollow people like crazy. So I'm feeling <laughs> not, I'm not like too out there and saying wild things or being necessarily too annoying. I was just talking about this with a friend. I think when you are recording your life for that long, there's no way you're not going to be annoying. Like you're going to be annoying sometimes, but I'm not too annoying at, ever at any point for people to really start unfollowing me in droves, which I think is the key. But I didn't have like a peak and then like a downfall ever. It was just it's very steady. To me, that sounds very ideal. Like you're not this huge figure that everyone's coming for and trying to cancel all the time. You're in this Mm -hmm. space where you're 
providing for the people that know and love you rather than always trying to be like, I need new followers, new audience, like more, more, more. You you seem very content. Like, you know, your base, you know, your audience, and you're not trying to go on to the next thing. And I think your audience probably feels that. Oh, no. Are we? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah. Did y'all see the AI CEO they have now? No. Is there a new CEO? There's like a CEO... The day, uh, the first AI CEO has been appointed to like the head of a company. Wait, the uh, CEO is AI. AI. And I'm like, oh. if we if can figure that out, <laughs> we should be able to. Someone needs to make a platform where podcasting is made easier. Right? Why are we still dealing with pauses and glitches yeah. if there is an AI CEO? Yeah. That's <laughs> insanity. Wow. But yeah. I, I do feel like that's probably pretty ideal for you. And it also seems like you really know your audience. It seems like you're very much tending to them. And that's why you have like a loyal following rather than so in that growth mindset. Do you feel like that's been a benefit to you? I do. And also, I think for me, because I started this when I was 22 and I had zero dollars to my name and I moved out to L.A. and was like trying to do odd jobs to make my job work. And now I'm older and more established. I live a different lifestyle than I did then. The only like really quote negative things, and I don't really consider it negative because I, I enjoy feedback, is the relatability piece and people not wanting you to change or become unrelatable because your audience now feels like they're not connected to you anymore. But I think that because my audience knows me pretty well, they're also just like really fucking cool. I think that they they have given me a lot of leeway to grow and change without judging me, which is really nice. I also think that Everything I do, while it is audience-led, it really is my life. Like, I'm not really necessarily putting on a show. I think that putting on a show in some regard would actually really help with audience growth. But I just don't want to be portraying this life that is so artificial that I feel like you have to do if you want to grow a lot. Meaning, like, I don't open my reels with very spicy hooks or things that you're supposed to do in social media to grow. It doesn't feel natural to me, so I just don't do it. And I think that that's the thing that's helped me stay connected with my audience is I put my camera on and I talk exactly like this all the time. (laughs) Or I get on the podcast and I talk like this all the time. So it's less almost tending to an audience and more just I'm going to be exactly myself right now and I'm not going to like make this feel like you're watching the Peyton show in the way that I'm trying to garner a new audience, if that makes sense. You can feel when someone's doing that. And I personally don't like to follow people like that online. So what I'm doing is a genuine representation of my life. And sometimes things are left out. Sometimes things are maybe dramatized to be funny, but I'm not like doing things so I can post on social media more. I'm just living my life and posting that on social media. And I think that that might show to most of the people who follow me and stuff around. Yeah, I believe consumers are smarter than a lot of people give them credit for. I think that they're craving the authenticity and they can sniff out a hook or where they're being sold or where they're trying to kind of almost like be used as page views versus here's me showing up authentically. I really do think that more and more people are going to crave that even more than they already are. So people like you will have the staying power, whereas the people that are just posting for the virality and, and for the effort of gaining new audience, people are going to no longer want to consume that content. Besides prioritizing authenticity, what other career lessons have you learned since starting out in your early 20s? 
One, staying in my own lane. You know, I live in LA. I'm an influencer in Los Angeles. There are things that we all do exactly the same because it's <laughs> what I used to do here. Like, I do love going to Erwan. I love my Alfred coffee. But I think that staying in my own lane in terms of not necessarily doing what's trending, but just doing what I naturally feel like doing. When it comes to content creation, I've learned to balance between times where I'm working hard and then when I feel like I'm burnt out, I kind of remove myself a little bit. And when I was younger, when I first started this job, because it really wasn't respected at all, not that it's currently respected. I've told so many people that I'm an influencer and I've had so many interesting responses to that. Even five years ago, people were like, so you don't have a job, basically. So I kind mm-hmm. of felt like I was trying to work harder and harder and more and more to prove to myself, to prove to everyone else that I was doing something of quality. I think as you just get older in general, you just kind of like don't care anymore. And you're like, I need to do what I need to do for myself. So if I don't need to work. I think I was working at the beginning 18 hour days. And that doesn't wow. mean I was always like creating content for 18 hours because I was so like hungry. Also, I needed to pay my rent. So I was like, I need to make money. <laughs> Sure. Uh, But I I just was super caught up and wasn't even motivation. It was like anxiety. Like it was just a a whole lot of anxiety. And to be honest, I think it made my output, the the product I was producing, whether it was a blog post or an Instagram post, it made it less true to me. than for me, learning to really share my own self and my own experience without worrying if it's the right thing or if this thing is going to make me viral or whatever has been huge. I guess just being more patient and taking some time off has been really nice. And what I mean by time off is just give myself like a 10 to 6 work schedule. And maybe if I work in the evening time, that's cool too. But I need to have some time where I'm removing myself from the computer. Yeah. It's so crucial to take moments off. And I feel like when people are sitting watching TV, there's like that toxic productivity of like, I should be doing more. So then they're not actually really recharging. They're actually just like yeah. stressing themselves out as they were sitting and watching TV. So being able to know that resting is productive because like you said, when you give yourself the time to rest and then you get back to your work, you will be so much more present, so much more creative, so much more authentic in that work. Mm-hmm. So by definition, rest is the most productive thing you could do. I'm very type A. So that's how I had to convince myself to rest. It was not like rest because it's good for you. It was like rest because actually it makes your job better. So like I have scheduled rest. <laughs> I love it. Just, I don't know if it defeats the purpose, but it's funny that you say that. I'm going to record later for my podcast today, and I'm going to talk about cultivating patience because I need to be much more patient as a human being. And one of the ways I've been practicing patience is not getting on my phone as much and like needing like these like dopamine hits. So I've been practicing just watching TV without the phone. And it's so weird and so antsy feeling to do that. And I realized that that's one of those things I'm addicted to scrolling on TikTok or looking at Instagram stuff or looking at Pinterest to get inspiration for this and that and the other thing or creating new graphics. We have so much opportunity to create constantly. And I think it's so important to make sure that we remove ourselves from that as well, like go outside and touch grass kind of thing. I love even watching TV without the phone. Like it's so crazy, Mm -hmm. but it's so true how we are so used to that consistent major dopamine hit. I even noticed myself like when I'd be in elevators, I would just automatically go to my phone rather than just standing still for three seconds. I know you mentioned earlier that you are turning 30 in December. Happy birthday. We get asked a lot about navigating that transition from your 20s to 30s. How do you feel about that major milestone? 
if you would have asked me this, I don't know, 20 years ago, it probably would have felt different. Like, let's say I was 30 20 years ago, it would feel different. But nowadays, I feel like 30, not only is it actually young, but I think it's looked upon by society as a lot younger than they might have thought about it generations ago. If I was in Texas, to be quite honest, I think I might feel differently because a lot of my friends there, most of them there are married with their first kid. I have a friend who's actually married and divorced already. And so I feel like I might feel more societal pressure, but where I live, no one is in a rush. So it has made me really relaxed, honestly. I think turning 29 was more of a moment for me to be like, oh my God, like I'm almost 30. But this year has really made me like, I don't know what happens chemically in your brain. I think something happened to me at like around 25 and a similar thing is happening now where I'm just like relaxed. There's nothing that I'm too concerned about besides like making sure I'm checking my fertility and things like that, which I'm pretty on top of. So Mm. honestly, I'm pretty about it. One of the questions that I ask in the rapid fire portion a lot on the podcast is the biggest difference between your 20s and 30s. And I have stopped asking this question because every person's answer was, I stopped caring as much about what other people think. That was every person's answer. So it's made me be like, get me the hell to 30. Like, I'm ready. It sounds amazing. I also just feel like my 20s were great. Now I just know more about what clothes look best on me, how to work out that's best for my body, what to do for my skin, what to do for my makeup. I have money to buy the things I want. I have money to go on the vacations I want. I recently got a puppy. I have responsibility that I can completely uphold and I feel very content with that I remember that reaching this point of people are going to judge me they're not going to like this they're going to like this they're going to have an opinion about this like everything I do someone has a better way to do it that they share with me and at some point you're just like okay I could either never create content again and never make a dollar and my job's done or I can just say fuck it and not care and just decide to commit to that and just live that way and at some point I was just like all right I have to not care because I'm not going to be able to do my job if I care. Yeah, like, who are you caring for? Why care so much? Who really cares at the end of the day as much as we all think that they do? Even putting my life on purpose out on social media, it could make me feel pressured. Like, I do think about that number in, like, a stadium, for example. It's a lot of people, but I just try to not ignore it, but I realize that no one, even those people have chosen to follow me on social media, they don't really care. If I do something embarrassing, if I do something cringy, if I do something they don't like, if I have, if I make a life decision they don't like, they'll think about it for two seconds. They might comment on it or a review or on a YouTube comment or on Reddit or something, but like they don't actually care that much. I'm not that big of a part of their life because everyone's so involved in their own lives. You seem like someone who is very confident. How have you been able to get to this point of confidence? Do you think it was something that you were born with and always had? Or did you have to work really hard on that skill? I've always been confident in my abilities intellectually and my adaptability is something I've been confident in. Honestly, when it comes to like external, um, I dealt with acne. I just didn't feel pretty. I dealt with a lot of body image issues. And that's one of those things that was not innate in me and I had to choose a lot of this stuff as a choice so I had to just choose and commit to being like wait a minute does it matter if I have a zit does it matter it really doesn't matter like I think that I've just been able to force myself to gain perspective and then once I do that and like kind of zoom out on my life and look how small I am in the mix of all of these human beings on the planet that we're living in I start thinking like why am I fixating on this The feelings are valid and it's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to not feel so great, but I don't have to take those feelings so seriously and I can just go live my life without having to worry about 
you know, am I doing this right? Am I looking okay? Am I, you know, skinny enough in this swimsuit? Am I, it's just exhausting at some point. So you're just like, I don't need to be doing this and I'm going to practice not doing this and just paying attention to other things. I'm such a big believer that confidence is not the absence of negative thoughts. Cause I think we all will always sadly have the thoughts of like, oh, I don't look as good as she does, or I have a breakout now, or I could lose a couple pounds. We always have those thoughts. I think that confidence is knowing that those thoughts do not make you less than what you actually are. You know, it doesn't actually impede yeah. your worth. I think it's it's easy. And I'm a person in my life. I've come from a military background. We went through times in my childhood where my dad was literally gone at war and things felt very serious. Uh, we take things serious in my family because of it. And we've always been involved in sports and academics and like everything needs to be very serious where I come from. So it took me a while to kind of remove myself from that and not taking myself so seriously has been transformative for everything. Because if I make a mistake, whatever. If I have a zit, whatever. Who cares? Like, it's not that serious and no one else really cares. <laughs> so why do I care so much? It's just impeding on my time here that I have on the earth to be a human. And there's not that much of it. So like, why am I so worried with, with time that I could just be enjoying myself? Yeah, the wasted energy. It's exhausting. It's, it's, exhausting. it's really tiring. Sometimes you just get tired of not being confident. You just have to be like, all right, screw it. Another mm -hmm. mindset that I know you talk a lot about is the lucky girl mindset. I know you recently launched a whole line of lucky girl clothing. Can you I'm break down? Right oh, my you. gosh. It's so cute. I need to get my hands on one. Can you break down what the lucky girl mindset means for listeners? So it was like a TikTok trend, the lucky girl syndrome. And I was going through a breakup and I just decided after I went through the really sad part, I let myself really feel that. After that, it was just, again, one of those things that I had to just choose. I kind of always go back to this. Everything I, you do in your life, everything you choose to believe or whatever perspective you choose to have, it's all a choice. You have to actively and intentionally choose these things. So for me, I was like, well, there's no point in being negative anymore. I've definitely wallowed and I definitely have grieved the loss of this relationship as I knew it. And now I need to just choose to get the fuck up and live my life. And the only way to do that is just expect really good things and expect that I'm going to get lucky all the time. And it's just kind of like a fun way to live because then you're looking out for moments where you might get lucky and you notice that they happen a lot more often than you would if you weren't looking for those moments. It's a little bit based in delusion. And I think that delusion can be very healthy sometimes. We call it delusion. I would say optimism. I have an issue with perpetual optimism. I think it's called like toxic positivity. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's more like acknowledging shitty stuff that happens, but just being like that stuff kind of rolls off of me. And what I'm paying attention to is the positive stuff while acknowledging that bad stuff happens and I get unlucky sometimes. And almost again, it makes you take it less seriously when you do get unlucky because you're like, well, my lucky thing is like coming around the corner. And like the delusion of it is like kind of funny. So for me, that's why I've really enjoyed Lucky Girl Syndrome, because it makes me just be more lighthearted about my life. And day to day, I feel like it just keeps my energy levels higher. I feel like a little bit better about life when I almost have like an inside joke with myself that feels delusional, but also is real. Listen, I am all about living in my Delulu era. Like I'm all for it. But I completely agree with you where it's different than toxic productivity. It's not like nothing bad will ever happen to me. And I'm happy and lucky and everything works out great. It's kind of just like yeah. the awareness of there's so much that is good, no matter what, no matter what's going on, there is good things. You know how people talk about the reticular activating system of the brain that like filters out 
other things. So if you're buying a red convertible, you'll see a lot of red convertibles. I feel like that's what lucky girl syndrome comes down to is like when you start looking for what you have to be lucky for, you see more mm. things. It's not that your life is just sunshine and roses. It's that you are actively looking for glass half full situations and therefore you see more. Also, I, I read this quote a long time ago and I don't remember who this is or who said it. Instead of focusing on what could go wrong, focus on what could go right. And for me, I have a lot of anxiety. I've had anxiety my entire life and I've dealt with depression before. So my natural inclination is to focus on what could go wrong, one, to protect myself. So I'm prepared for something bad to happen. And two, the depression portion, you just become a little bit hopeless. So that also feeds into that. And so when I read that, it kind of changed the way I thought, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong, but there actually is a lot that could go right. And like thinking about the stuff that could go right, to me, keeps me going, keeps me motivated, and it keeps me having a better time just per day because I don't need to focus on what's going to go wrong. Stuff is going to go wrong. I might as well just focus on something better to keep myself moving in the right direction. Yeah, I love that perspective. The other like weird example that just came to my mind is, you know, like when you have a really bad cold or maybe this is just me, but when I have a really stuffy nose and I can't sleep at night, I'm like, oh, last night I took for granted how clear my nose was and that I could sleep. I kind of think of it the same way where it's like there's so much going right that we never realize because it's just the absence of wrong. So if we start looking at it like, okay, sure, I'm running late right now, but look at all the other things that's going right. Because if you didn't have those things, then you would be like, oh, I should have appreciated when I have it. You know, I think we've all experienced that in our lives more than it is a delusional mindset. It's just like a lens in which you see life. What are some concrete steps that you recommend to adapt a a luckier, more abundant mindset? So for me, this is not a natural thing. Like I said before, this is absolutely not natural for me. And at first it feels a little bit crazy. But I've been really working on, one, tempering my negative thoughts towards myself. So that's my thoughts of like, you don't look good in this, or your face isn't cute right now, or you're having a bad makeup day, or you're having a bad hair day, or you're not educated enough on this subject or whatever. I started noticing when I have them and giving myself grace for having them. Like, that's just me trying to protect myself from the outside world or whatever it is. And I try to make sure that I notice it and then intercept it and be like, Peyton, don't take this so seriously. Like, this is just a passing thought. Let it go. And then I started doing that with my thoughts on the outside world. So instead of thinking, oh, the traffic's going to be so bad today. I hate this. LA sucks sometimes. I try to intercept those thoughts with not even more positive thoughts, but just recognize them and be like, you're being silly, basically. It's going to be okay. If there's traffic, you're fine. You're living in Los Angeles. You're driving a car. You have AC in the car. You're having your little nice coffee. Like you're going to be totally fine. So I think tempering negative thoughts about yourself and about the outside world is important to just notice when you're having them and give yourself grace for having them and just be aware of how much that's affecting your life. And that was my true step one to learning this is just the awareness of how much negativity was affecting me day to day. And then two, I kind of went into this like delusion, almost like giddy about things. And I got a couple friends to do this with me. Like we're just deciding that we're how we are the best lives ever. And it would almost become a joke. Like when something bad would happen, we'd just be like, but we had the best lives. So obviously this happened for a reason. But it became like a funny thing with my friends. And then like it becomes not that much of a joke anymore because you miss traffic, for example, for seeing the traffic metaphor on the way home and you didn't have to wait in it. So that was a good thing that happened to you. And maybe your favorite song came on the radio. If you continue to live through moments that seem negative, a lot of the times they end up being pretty positive. So that's just kind of how we 
started and it was me and my friends doing that. So get together with your friends and just decide we're going to be delusional and everyone's in love with us. We're the hottest we've ever been. We're super smart and we're very friendly and good stuff happens to us. And if I want a husband, he's going to appear this year. So one of my friends right now is very much on her. She's not dating anyone, but she's very much on her. I'm getting engaged in 2024. Damn. Damn. We're all like, yeah, you are. You just are. <laughs> no, I really know. But it's also kind of fun. A lot of good things have come out of that. Do you ever feel, because sometimes I can be a little on the Tootalulu era side where a barista will be handing me a coffee and I'll be like, he totally thinks I'm hot. You know, like, do you ever get too delusional or do you feel like you're in a good balance between having the best life and being self-aware? In my life, I have never been a person, unless it's really over, that I'm like, wow, this man thinks I'm the hottest. I don't know if <laughs> stop me, but I just, maybe I need to like go to therapy for that specific thing. But I think that because I don't take myself too seriously in a negative way, I also don't do so in a positive way. But I also think there's something to that. What you're saying is it's like that movie, I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer. Yes. It's like her delusion actually made her incredibly endearing. So I think there's a difference between like you're super full of yourself and you're just confident in having a good time and doing things that are silly like that and thinking things that are way like that. I think it's a level of taking it too seriously or not taking it seriously. That movie, now that I think about it, is such a great manifestation example because nothing about her changed, but her beliefs about herself changed and therefore mm -hmm. everything else in her life changed, which is yeah. such a good and example so of it. Extreme, like you know, she like got yes. too, she got too serious about how pretty she felt, and that's when you run into like, I don't want to say bad delusion, but like just being fucking annoying. So like, totally. maybe be like so serious about it. I want to say like, don't even put so much emphasis on it because again, we're un we're operating under the guise of it doesn't really matter. So if you're the hottest person in the room, you can feel like the hottest person in the room, but at the end of the day, you know it doesn't really matter. Love yourself, yeah. feel lucky, yeah. but don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Something else that you talk about that I really want to dive into is this idea of a villain era. Can you explain from your point of view, what is a villain era? I actually don't know that much about this one. So this is, again, a similar to the lucky girl syndrome. You have to take it with a grain of salt. But I think sometimes as women, and I've watched this with women in my family, my mom, women around me, we're taught we need to be soft and we need to be subservient and we need to be serving people around us or else we're selfish. So I think the villain era was really about women setting boundaries and saying no and not feeling guilty for being selfish because you're allowed to, you're you, like you need to take care of yourself. You need to be selfish. I have always been pretty good with boundaries and saying no and all these things, but I noticed the women around me were not so great at it sometimes and letting the men in their lives or other women walk all over them. And for me, I like that TikTok has taken these things like the lucky girl syndrome situation that are lessons to learn in life and marketed them with a fun, catchy title. Because I think it makes it easier to talk about. So I think the villain era, it was just like a fun, catchy title for explaining to women that it's going to feel like you're in your villain era when you're just being rightfully selfish. I'm not saying like selfish in every situation, but living your life like you're the center of it because you are. So it's kind of like main character energy, but with a twist to it. Maybe I'm thinking too much about this and you can tell me to shut up <laughs> if I'm getting like too into this idea. but. Think about like a Disney movie, the princesses mm -hmm. is always, at least traditionally, they care a lot about what other people think. They want love. You know, they're, yeah. they are really nice. So they do what other people want them to do. They try to help other people. And as little girls, we're taught to be like the princess. But the villain mm -hmm. is like, I don't give a fuck if I'm 
ugly as hell. I don't give a fuck if other people like me. I'm going to do what I want. And it's kind of like that is the idea. I think so. And I also think I saw this commentary on The Parent Trap recently. And it was saying how Meredith Blake was cast as the villain of the movie. When really, like, she wasn't really, like, being that much of a villain. She was just, like, dating their dad and cute. And first, um, but she definitely was a confident, strong woman who, when you first see her, you like pan up on her and like she's wearing this amazing outfit. And it's stuff like that where women who had opinions and had boundaries and are powerful are almost seen as like villain like when they're really not. But now that I look back, I'm like, wait a minute, she wasn't like that much of a villain, a grown ass woman making decisions for herself. <laughs> was cast in this like horrible light because she wasn't as doting or subservient i guess also the you know everyone talks about like the devil wears prada example where when we all saw devil devil wears prada when we were young and we're like oh andy go back to your boyfriend don't become this girl now watching i'm like andy go off sis fight for the job in paris you earned this keep your job ditch the guy but it's interesting to see how as young girls We were taught such different values. We were really taught to be selfless, to give up self, to tend to other people. We were taught to be doting, to be subservient. And so I love that now social media has allowed us as women to be like, fuck all of that. We're going to become the villains that we should have seen as role models as children. Because you're really not the villain. I mean, that's why I say it's like a fun, kitschy title. But when you first start behaving in this way with like very set boundaries in your life and you start really taking care of yourself and putting yourself first, it can feel like you're being a villain. It can feel like you're impacting people negatively. When really, it's one of those things like you you put your mask on before you put the your the mask on anyone else on the plane. Right. You know, it's one of those things you, you've got to take care of yourself so you can provide a good foundation for other people. So it's healthy, even though it might feel villain-esque. In the beginning, especially. Do men just like live in their villain era? I even understand. I mean, I think <laughs> that's a thing that they have. I also was watching something. Oh, I was watching the Sylvester Stallone documentary last night. And he said something about men, actually, how all men want to be either like a villain or like a hero. He's like, I've had like a savior complex. Like, I just want to be the guy that saves the bus full of people. And that's how the men in my family are, for sure. They're definitely like heroes. But I wish we had, you know, more heroes to look towards because the heroes and the villains, there's a thin line between them sometimes. And men get to have those characters growing up. And now we've started to have that with like Wonder Woman and things like that. But we really just only had like the women or the villains, not a lot of heroes. It'll be hero era next. We'll, we'll do something with that once there's more women heroes. I'm all here for the hero era. Okay, Peyton, we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First one, your favorite movie of all time. Ooh, that's really tough. I feel like I could watch Legally Blonde for the Uh, rest of my life. I mean, it is a classic. Talk about a hero era. Elle Woods invented the hero era. And she just looked different. She wasn't as hard. She wasn't as covered in armor. She was just wearing pink. A song you put on when you want to boost your mood. Maybe not even boost my mood, but to make myself come back to home, like really just regulate my nervous system is Balsam Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. It's the live version of it. It's my favorite song in the whole world. What about it makes you come back to home? As I mentioned, we kind of grew up going to my grandparents' ranch. I'm actually lucky enough to go in like two weeks. But growing up, we spent summers out there and we didn't have any Wi-Fi or anything. And every evening before we go downstairs to my grandpa's, like he's got a basement bar. We play poker every night. But before that, he would drink. This is like an old Texas oil guy. Okay, so he's like a big (laughs) 
John. He would have like a single malt, malt scotch on the rocks and play Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. And that song in particular just reminds me of that time. So I swear I feel like my heart rate like go down. Like there's a part, part of it who says like, hey, I'm Johnny Cash in the very beginning of this live recording. And I'm literally like wherever I am, I'll just relax. It's so weird. Do you feel like it like activates connection to like young Peyton? I think it, yeah, it's in, in a happy, simple time, like a very mm-hmm. simple time. With, I really respect my grandfather. He's been someone that's been an absolute icon in my life. So having those calm moments in a place that I love so much that comforts me, it, it literally is like taking a Xanax when I hear those words. That's so beautiful. Best piece of advice that you've ever received? I think it's a Kurt Vonnegut quote that I read. It's about like just taking yourself less seriously, as we've discussed. Like it's not getting in your own brain and and being way into your own little world it can make you feel like you're important in a way that i think is negative and even with the villain era and the lucky girl mindset we we're kind of at the center of it i think the perspective that you don't have to take everything that you think and say so seriously that was something that's really changed the way that i live my life is to just stop taking yourself so seriously i love that it's just life it's meant to be enjoyed that's what i always have told myself it's just life yeah. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. Last rapid fire question, a book that changed your life. So I have two that I definitely want to mention. The first one is Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. I read that when I was 17 and it completely, coming from a very homogenous, religious, conservative background, where not everyone believed those things maybe, but it was just the culture. Reading a book like that made me feel seen in a way that I wasn't even able to articulate myself. Also, as a person who loves to write, I just really respect the way that Kurt Vonnegut writes and it makes sense to me. And then my favorite book ever of all time is called Invisible Monsters by Chuck Palahniuk. He also wrote Fight Club. It's about like fear and confronting the things that you most fear. And it really, I try to go back and read that book every couple of years, along with Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay, I have to get those because I very rarely will get a book recommendation that I've never, I haven't read yet, and I haven't read either of those. So I am so excited. That will be next on my list. They're like modern American literature. I like nonfiction too, but I think that the artistry of it and also like I went through these, at least Slaughterhouse-Five in my English class, we kind of like dissected each paragraph even, but what he brought out of that book for me was pretty life-changing. I do feel like sometimes you get the most out of what you want to apply to your life from stories rather than just a self-help book. Absolutely. Peyton, where can everybody find you? Give us your social channels, podcast, all the details. Okay, so I'm at Peyton Sarton across like Instagram and TikTok, YouTube as well. And then I have a podcast called Note to Self by Peyton Sarton. You can listen to that wherever you get podcasts. That's also on YouTube. And I have a Instagram and a TikTok for that as well. You can just search Note to Self. Thank you so much for joining us, Peyton. This was such a fun conversation. I love talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. You are an amazing interviewer. This is something I need to like, I'm trying to learn. Oh my God, that just made my whole day. It's hard. People do not realize that podcasting is not just having a conversation. There's a lot to it. It's hard. And you made it flow in the right way because some people interview and it's too intense sometimes. And I'm just like, well, super... There's no chemistry there, but you've done a good job. I can't even see you right now and you're doing it. <laughs> that's that's a whole like that's a skill. I mean, I'm impressed. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Peyton. That made it my whole day. You're going to be I mean, I know people love the podcast already. It's going get, to get better and better for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.